Hello, hello, and welcome to Temple of the False Pot, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Uh, welcome to tonight's episode. I'm Andy. Hi, I'm Bruce. And tonight we are going to chit-chat about the origins of our decks, but like in a more conceptual way. Does that make sense? Uh, we're going to talk about how we come up with the ideas for our decks, how we go about putting cards in them, and then finally having a, a finished-ish product at the end. But I guess that all comes down to personal preference anyway. We'll get to that. Yeah, generally, uh, it's it's right thumb and forefinger. That's pretty much the way I put cards in my deck. Right thumb oh, and yeah, forefinger. Just, just slide it right in. All right, thank you, folks. It's been <laughs> great. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> So, Bruce, yep. uh, I have been playing Magic for upwards of three years, so not very long. Uh, I would say my deck building prowess has significantly grown, but I would say uh, I've definitely not as had as much experience as you. My deck building process generally starts with, oh, I like this interaction, or, oh, I like this card, uh... Let's figure out how I can do that as much as often. Uh, and then I go from there. Right. Uh, as somebody who has been building decks for a much longer time, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, I don't feel like the uh, the ex- extended period of time has actually improved my deck building skills much more than what you're at right now. So, yeah. Eh, hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know... I, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to hearing hearing about how you decide. Like, where does the deck build, and how do you you know how do you go from one card? Uh, I mean, we're commander players, so how do you go from from one commander out to a full on 100 card commander deck? Yeah, I think it. I think it depends, honestly, on what I'm going for. Um, I have, for example, my Tesa deck. I started with Tesa because I was like, oh, I want to play black and I want to play white. And I want, honestly, the Tesa deck started with, I want token creatures that are vigilant and have lifelink. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's spiraled out from there. Uh, but, you know, I've got that. I've got uh, Bruce Tarl and, who is it, Ravos? Uh, Ravos Soul Tender. Yeah. Uh, that, that partner commander deck mm-hmm. is generally just a Legends deck. I was like, I want a three-color deck. So I did it. I found two commanders that I liked, and then I started adding cards in those colors. I was mostly going to EDH Rec, searching what are the best red, white, black cards, and then I was choosing generally cheaper cards, uh, if only because I don't have a huge income. Um, so you then... were looking for more, more like just the idea? the ideas that the cards on EDH rec were offering or you were looking for I I was looking at like actual cards I was seeing what would fit in those colors and um, a lot of it ended up being like scrolling through definitely I was like oh I have this card and this card I'll just throw these in Um, I think that actually might be where the decks might generally start after figuring out my commander um, is I go through what I have I mean at the time that I built that Bruce Tarl and Ravos deck, I only had, what, like 2,000 cards. It was easy to kind of flip through. And yeah. I have 
I have it already organized by color identity. So I just have to flip through, be like, okay, this one can't even go in it. This one can uh, see what I want to happen with the deck. That deck's a mess, by the way. Uh, <laughs> there's no cohesion to it. Uh, but I like to pull that one out for for games of plane chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I get to a stack of oof, 200 cards. <laughs> right. Um, and then there are some that are definitely easy to, to pull back out. And then I have to go through the excruciating process of finding its place in my collection again and putting it back and it's it's definitely over the past couple years changed if only because i'm finding more and more technologies that either keep my things straight or uh i can just build the decks digitally before actually pulling them out it's interesting because what you're describing is like i've sort of gone the reverse I look through the cards that I have to find the commander that I want to build. And then I start from there. And and by start from there, I mean, okay, you know, I basically uh, pull out a pad and pencil. Or, you know, most a lot of my deck building came from because I was writing articles. So literally open up a Word document, start with your commander, and just start filling in blanks. Um, and a lot of the blanks were, you know, what does the commander do? Is there some particular part of that commander that you want to try and exploit? Or, you know, and maybe exploit's not always the best word when it comes to it, but, you know, so, something that you were look, that you looked at and said, if I can make that work, this is going to be awesome. And that's, that's generally where I started. And then from there, I went to more with a concept. Um, you get that idea... And then write down a few other ideas of, you know, well, okay, so if I'm starting with, um, you know, it's always easier to, to, to do this when you start talking about one of the decks you've already built. Say, well, with Kalidus. When mm-hmm. I decided to build Kalidus, um, the first thing I was, I was looking at was, okay, I want a deck that's going to have a lot of zombies because I want to be able to do the Voltron Smash and sack a big ton of zombies to Kalidus and have him hit for that much commander damage. So I knew that that was going to be a focal point of the deck. Um, I also knew that because he stopped graveyards, I wanted to build a mono-black deck with no with no recursion. I mean, that's not fair to say because Kalidus doesn't affect you. But I kept looking <laughs> at it as... You know what? If everybody else is running with no recursion, meaning I'm stuffing a big part of their playability, I'm going to build this deck with the idea being that I'm not going to worry about the recursion either. So there's some recursion in the deck, but it's mostly incidental, and it's not. It's not. Uh, the deck is definitely not built around the idea of I can recur stuff, but you can't. It's the the focus is very definitely on you can't get stuff out of your graveyard. And we're going to keep it that way, you know. And then I'm going to take advantage of, of situations where that's the case. Um, but I started from there as opposed to uh, actually starting to look at cards. Because once I had a general gist of what I want a deck to do, then you can start breaking it down as far as how many cards for each section. And then I start trying to fill those slots. Um, and that's sort of... Uh, that's sort of where where I'm coming from now, um, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I try and look through the cards, you know, 
my cards are all sorted uh, and I've got an app that tells me what cards I have cuz you know <laughs> yeah 30 I got my collection is closer to 30,000 and yeah. uh so I just you know start searching um and just do searches for for any card um and if I have the cards great and if I don't well then that's put you know I I make a note of the cards that I have and the ones that I don't and build the deck and then I look back and say, okay, of the cards I don't have, how many of these are absolutely essential and there's just no way you can do this without it? Versus, I have another card that does that, not nearly as good, but will it suffice as a backup? And, right. you know, to try and go that route a little bit. But Yeah, and I like my, my style, I guess, has changed over the past couple of years, if only because, you know, I do now have upwards of... 5,000 I guess yeah. somewhere around there um, so like my my collection has gotten bigger um, maybe not better but bigger for sure uh, <laughs> and uh, the the amount of uh, frustration of going through that going through you know each, I have it all separated out by uh, casting cost and going through that just kind of wears on you so I definitely have gotten to the point where I'm like, all right, time to catalog, uh, which has been great over the past nine months where, uh, <laughs> a little extra time. Yeah. I've had, I've had the time. I've had the space to do projects like that and spread out and get it done. Um, I'm so chaotic with my builds at this point because I never know where to start because knowing that, Oh, you know, I could just, buy the card if i don't have it uh becomes oh that means every card is is open to me and that just becomes overwhelming uh and so i'm just like oh i want this and this and this and this then i end up looking and i'm like oh i've got you know uh how many ever cards i've got like 200 cards in my my stack and i uh even even on architect uh and i've got it all split up into like i usually split it up into like six or seven groups of this does this and this does this and this does this and then I go through those groups and start to whittle down uh, like whatever the biggest group is and I'm like alright I, I clearly don't need 12 cards that uh, for example 12 cards that gain life and lose life <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> oh uh, for example my Sir Gwyn deck that I'm working on I've got um, you know custom custom sort on on architect you know i don't need 12 equipments that just make my knights bigger i don't need nine things that create knight tokens uh it, it's easy to look at it in piles like that when it's when it's grouped up when it's like the i i think the greatest thing about architect is that you can have your custom view because it just it makes it be like okay what like sure you'll have cards that overlap in groups like i'll have cards that make knights and give knights bonuses that's always nice uh to be able to look at it that way and be like all right what am i paying too much attention to and what am i paying not enough attention to and generally the thing i'm not paying enough attention to is mana rocks is like right. ramping is these basic things that get you going at the beginning of the game and I'm like ah oh, look at all these these end game plays and it's like 
Gotta, well, gotta stop that. Right, and that's sort of uh, standard for every deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's standard for the way er- virtually everybody builds decks. Um, you, I mean, I hear it from everybody, you know. I'm, I was putting this deck together, and now I've got a stack of 150 or 200 cards. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you know, that doesn't include any of the lands. Um, right. So, to me, once you get to that stack of 200 cards, then you're not, you're lo- it's less that you're looking at all this other stuff. Now you're looking at the mana rocks, the removal, with a deck that's essentially fully formed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know what you want the deck to do at this point. You've drawn, you've pulled a bunch of cards out. You have a general form of what you're expecting. This is now the perfect time because you can then look at the cards that are the the functioning, the exciting part of your deck, and say, okay, so what is the key turn for me? Because you'll be able to look at the cards in your deck and say, okay realistically i want to be able to put a land on the table every turn until turn six or turn five or turn three or wherever your curve is set well then you can now set the number the amount of lands in your deck based on that as opposed to doing it beforehand and just you know there's a certain amount of the typical cards that are always in every single deck and a lot of people follow a lot of set rules for how to build decks and i am one of those people I follow those rules, but you still have to maintain the flexibility. And the best way to do that is to have this core of your deck built so you already know. So you know how many mana rocks you're going to need. You know how much land you're going to need. You know how much ramp you're going to need. And I mean, all of that is variable depending on the colors that you've chosen, depending on the cards that are in your deck, all that. But you have those variables there as opposed to before. a lot of times when I was building decks while I was writing articles, you know, in order to avoid staring at the blank screen, you know, I had a commander, I'd put my 40 lands in, I would, you know, put some mana rocks, I'd put some card draw, put some removal, and just match it up to the color and not give a care about whether or not it made sense to the theme or did any of that stuff. Just because I wanted to have something already there so that I felt like I could make that work. Um, the problem with that is that you then have to backtrack because I was, you know, I put five mana rocks in. Well, do I need five mana rocks? <laughs> I don't know. If, you know, if I was playing a uh, uh, Selvala, how, how much how much land do I need? Because Selvala herself is going to provide a ton of mana on a regular yeah. basis. You know, so you you want to make adjustments that way, um, and it's nice to be able to have your core built first. And then build in the, the, the mana base and build in your ramp and your rocks and removal and everything else. And I'm not saying you can, you can just skip that. All of that has to be there if you want a deck that's halfway decent. But it's nice to have the core built first because then now you can understand where to go. And it also can affect what you're doing. Your removal, you know, if I'm running a, a Golgari deck that relies yeah. a lot on plus one plus one counters and sacrificing creatures... Okay, well, then my removal, especially not just the basic stuff, because the basic stuff is just, it's so good, you're going to put that in. (laughs) But when you get to that third, the fourth or fifth removal spell, and you're weighing it out between this one that only costs three, or this one that costs four or five, but it gives me a plus one, plus one counter on another creature. Like, well, it fits your theme. Yeah. And, you know... 
I mean, is it is it optimized? No, but it sure as heck is fun. Hey, hey, that's my line. <laughs> <laughs> so you get where we're coming from with this. I just uh, yeah, yeah, because then you start building your the, these extra pieces, which so often are very standard and very staid, and you know. It's something that I've always criticized Commander about, meaning, you know, once you built all the, all of these other stuff in, there's no room for any creativity. There is room for creativity within those spaces. You just have to search a little harder to find it and make it work for your theme. I mean, there are plenty of cards that, you know, or a disenchant, you know, target, uh, you know, an artifact or enchantment. Okay, but if your, you know, if your deck has a particular theme, Maybe you've got a disenchant that has Convoke. Maybe you've got a disenchant that does something else. Or, sorry, naturalize for you youngins out there. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. you know, let's tie your... You'll, you'll know what your theme is at that point. So when you go for all of this, the basic stuff that you need, the card draw, you can tie the card draw into your theme and just make the deck that much more cohesive, that much more, uh, that much tighter and, and more fun for you to play. Yeah, and I mean, I think the the idea with staples, um, at least for me, and I, I think uh, you may have touched on this, I know we talked about it a little before, is that, like, the idea behind staples is that they are a good idea to include in whatever color deck. Like, green staples are a good idea to include in green deck, but they're just a good starting point. Um, for example... Uh, most EDH players would agree that Swiftfoot Boots and or uh, Lightning Greaves are EDH staples. They go, they belong in most uh, creature-based decks. Now, I've been updating my Tesa deck more than I've been updating any other one of my decks. I very recently realized those two cards do not belong in that deck. Dun dun dun. I don't need Tesa to go fast. I don't need any of my creatures to really go fast. Um, the benefit that would be there would be the Hexproof, but uh, I that that deck is based around sacrificing things. So if people are going to target it, I'm just going to sacrifice it. So, so like having it not be targetable isn't hugely effective. Um, I guess like I would be just playing it less because it would stick around longer. But maybe that's not necessarily what I want to do all the time. Uh, it it clogs up my lower curve. Uh, it clogs up my, my two slot. And I'm just like... It, it just needs... Honestly, I that deck started out with 30 land. Uh, and I, I just found two more slots for it. I found two more slots for land mm -hmm. by taking those two cards out. Um, and it, it's, it's tough to like uh understand and i saw i saw a tweet the other day that so perfectly summed it up make the i wish more people would make the decks that they want to build rather than the build the decks that they think they need to build um the the context it, yeah. it was worded something along those lines yeah no uh, the and, context I, and was, I understand completely what they're saying um, yeah and the, you know, honestly i encourage everybody out there build the decks you want to build you know as long as people continue to build the decks they think they're supposed to build then you're going to get the games you probably didn't want to get. <laughs> because it's only a matter... You know, if you're building you know, if you're building a deck a certain way 
And I mean, then you're getting a certain power level that you may or may not want. And on top of all of this, I mean, you know, Andy and I are talking about sort of how we build decks and where we're going with that. And, you know, this is not to suggest that if you do it differently, you're doing it wrong, because that's just, (laughs) that is not the case at all. This game, especially if you're playing the game, not necessarily to win. If you're just playing the game to play the game, cards that quote-unquote need to be in the deck aren't a thing um so many people emphasize to me like oh you need more duels in your deck i have so many basic lands in my deck all of my decks because they work they do their job uh and like sure it would make it more optimized or it'd make it more consistent um especially with the more colors you start to add in um but I'm not playing the game to win. And uh, that is generally... a th- Winning the game is generally a thing that I find out halfway through the game. That I'm like, alright, I guess I've got a chance. Let's do this. Um, so, like, when building the deck, I want to do... I build it around the things that I want to do. For example, my Sir Gwyn deck. I had the, the pre-con brawl deck, and I was like, alright... I have these six or seven cards out of this that I want right. to keep in this. Uh, I'm going to add in more knights. I'm going to add mm-hmm. in more equipments. I'm going to add in, uh, you know, the Rakdos and Boros charms. Um, See, and I think what you're describing is uh, it's part and parcel of what you should be looking at when you start to build decks. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's part of what what some people do have difficulty with. We forget at the start, are you building this deck to try and win the game? Or are you building this deck to do this weird, cool thing that the commander does? Or that that those colors do, and the commander adds to that? You know, however you decide, that either one or the other, but you're the one who's making those decisions. And you do it at the start, before you, before you start you know, piling cards out on the table and trying to work out what's in the deck. Because you want to know what the goal of the deck is. I mean, if your right. goal is is to win, well, then you really want to be aware of that mana curve. You really want to start paying more attention to, uh, you know, to your removal, to your ability to draw cards, to you know, how can you respond to other people's decks. You should have a different set of questions than if you are simply a uh, casual commander player who's there to simply have a good time. I I can yeah. tell you right now, my Buzzbark deck. That deck does not win games, um, and it's it's mostly a product of um, because I've overemphasized the idea of go big. It's so funny because now that you mention it, I've probably seen that deck win. Maybe I don't know. I, um, I, I'm sure you have. It it's not like the deck never wins. It's just it was never built with that in mind. It's it's hardly a, a crappy deck, and you continue to to upgrade it as you go. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing too is that people are so worried. I mean, by people, I mean I have had this worry when I build decks. It's like, oh, it's not perfect when I'm you know taking it out for a test run. It's like it doesn't need to be. You 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 put it, you build it, you play with it, you take some cards out, you put some cards in, and like that's how that's how it should be. Right. The Buzzbark deck was built with the intention of how many times can I throw dice? <laughs> that is the goal of the game. That is the goal. I, I want to hold 
a mitt full of foam dice in my hand, roughly nine inches above the table, and let them drop on, spill all over my magic cards, and then, you know, start putting plus and plus encounters on a bunch of different creatures. That's the goal of the deck. Um, I played it this weekend. I started the game with as luck would have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I played it first turn, and by the fourth turn, I had worked in enough ramp and done enough that I had already had 40 counters on oh as God. luck would have it because I'd rolled Buzzbark twice. <laughs> now, I could have kept going, but I looked at my hand and saw, okay, well, I've got doubling season and, oh, what's the other one? The one that doubles everybody's stuff, not just yours. Oh. I don't remember. In any event, I had a card in my hand that was going to let me double all of these plus one plus one counters. And another card that would do basically the exact same thing. So every single time, even if the die says it's worth one, it's worth four plus one plus one counters. And I was just like, I know. There's no way this is going to happen. No one, this cannot be, (laughs) the rest of the table can't allow this to happen. So I played them both and I'm like, look, the deck is here to play for Christmas land. I'm not here to win the game. I'm here to have fun and throw lots of dice. So I did that. And then, yeah, my board state got blown out. Uh, I I (laughs) lost both of the enchantments and then started to lose some of the other stuff. And eventually did lose as luck would have it with, I think it had 40, you know, a handful more than 40. It doesn't matter. I I can't tell you who won that game. All I can tell you is that Buzzbark got the 40. And I've got (laughs) pictures on Twitter of one of my opponents who literally put his camera up to the screen because I was holding all of these dice up next to my camera. (laughs) Because <laughs> that's where I was letting them drop from, so that they could they got this massive close up of like eight fo- eight foam dice, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm living for. That's what that's what I built the deck for. But that goes right back to the deck build, because when we're talking about building decks, you really do need to know what you're you know what you're what are you trying to do with the deck, and I think part of the reason you know, Buzzbark works because it's foam dice and uh, that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. But your deck, even if you're not there throwing foam dice or you're not doing something, you know, silver bordered outrageousness, your deck is going to be a lot more fun to run if it does what you intended for it to do when you first started building it. Um, yeah. Uh, before we go any further, Bruce, uh, we're going to take this moment to throw it over to our sponsors for a little ad break. So be right back. <laughs> This episode of Temple of Falsepod is brought to you by Animate Library. You may think it matters what is in your deck. And while I'd normally agree with you, now, with Animate Library, you can use it to fight, block, enchant, whatever you want. All that matters is how much is your library. Make it a big creature for big plays. Animate Library. It's still a library. And now back to you. But... Going back to the build, I mean, you and I build it a certain way, and in large part, it's a lot of it has to do with the number of cards that we have. Um, <laughs> we don't want to pull out all of these cards. Like, it used to be when I had 500 or 1,000 cards, I could flip through all of them to build a deck and look at yeah. each card in turn and say, hmm, no, hmm, yes. 
And you would try and build the deck that way. Uh, when your collection is smaller and allows you to do that, then you're going to build your decks differently. Um, when your collection is small like that, but you've got cash in hand, well, yeah, sure, you're going to flip through your cards, but realistically, in the back of your head, you're thinking, uh, <laughs> unless I've got something awesome, I'm just going to buy the deck that I'm going to build. Yeah. And, you know, again, I, I have no problems with any of this. You do you. But we're just sort of talking about deck building and how the number of cards you own does affect how you build. Um, you know, it used to be that, uh, like I said, with 500 cards, you could spread out over the dining room table and build. Uh, nowadays, I got a library card catalog and a wife who would prefer that I not spread the cards all <laughs> over the dining room table every time I want to build a deck. Uh, we also saw a, a shift in the internet, meaning we got the internet. Yeah. Uh, and that has made a huge difference. Uh, and now, lately, I mean, we already threw out Scryfall and Architect, you know, as two websites. And for those of you who are unaware of what Scryfall is, Scryfall is the best search tool on, on the internet when it comes to magic cards. Uh, I strongly recommend that you start using it to its full power. <laughs> um, go to the site, mess around on the site, figure it out, because uh, it, it, will, it will improve your deck building. It will find you cards you had no idea existed. And Architect's an easy way for you to uh, lay out your cards as though it was the dining room table. Um, and you can mix and match and put different columns and set everything up, and it's beautiful, and I love it. And we also have uh, EDH Rec. Um, I'm not always a fan of EDH Rec, but EDH Rec is there. So if you're looking for ideas at the start because you're new to magic or you're, you know, struggling to see, you know, it's like, I don't understand how a Mishra <laughs> deck can work. Because mm -hmm. you seem to, you always need to have a copy of that card in the graveyard. Like, how does that make any sense? Well, you go to EDH Rec and you start looking at all the cards that other people who've built Mishra decks have used in their decks and you're just sort of like, oh, Oh, now I understand. Or, you know, and it doesn't have to be something as weird and quirky as Mishra. Choose your basics. Uh, choose, you know, choose Tesa. Choose, uh, um, you know, choose a newer commander. Pick a commander from Commander Legends and see what people have done with him up to this point. And just sort of to give you an idea of what the average person is expecting from your deck. Uh, maybe yeah. there's cards in there that you hadn't even considered and it's one of those, you know, thump the palm of your hand into the into your forehead and just be like, I can't believe I didn't think of that. I was doing a, I was going to say overhaul, but I was adding in like a few cards uh, into my Tesa deck yeah. and I was realizing that it was significantly low on token producers, which is what, you know, a third to half the deck is supposed to be doing. Um, so I went... Onto EDH Rec. Right, and black and black up. and white has a ton of token producers. Yeah. But you really do want to see, like you said, go to EDH Rec. Yeah. Because they're going to show you some of the best ones. The great thing with EDH Rec, too, is that you can set filters. Um, yeah. It'll show you by category uh, what are most popular, but you can also get it down to if you want it to be more focused on tribal, if you want it to be more focused on mm -hmm. budget, uh, either expensive or inexpensive. I'm sure we've mentioned him before, but if we have not, uh, Tolarian Community College, the professor on YouTube, check him out. Um, he's got a great video. I'll link it in the, the show notes, um, about how to use EDH rec to the best of its abilities. I mean, I had been using EDH Rec for two, 
two and a half years pretty regularly before I watched this video and I learned a significant amount about how easy it is to sort things, to search through things, um, the extent of that website uh, beyond just hosting uh, deck lists. Um, right. And it's great. Uh, right. But all of these have, have, have dramatically changed the way all of us build decks. Um, oh, yeah. And so how, however you choose to build your decks, I mean, it, <laughs> it really does... It, it, the variance is huge, um, and I am getting, you know, in my case, I'm getting more and more to the point where uh, I'm trying to stay focused uh, with cards that are already in my collection. It begins to get a little silly when I look at a deck, you know, when I create a deck and then realize, oh, I need to buy 15 cards. You're buying 15 cards? Well, it's a commander deck. There's 60 non-lands. So, you know, even if you're buying like one land that does something spectacular that you your deck needs. Well, 15 out of 60, you're buying 25% of your deck and you know, <laughs> and and I've got 30,000 cards. Really? I don't have something that can fit the bill. That just seems insane. So, uh so I've been trying to get more internalized and I also try and do that as a way to control the power of some of the decks yeah. cuz it's easy to forget you maybe don't want to have a monster power so it's it's so interesting that i have to make it a point to build more with my, the cards that i already have and i think i think plainly a lot of it's because my my collection is made up of a lot of chaff but i mean might as well use it you know i have it um yeah. it does things um and it might not be the best thing but that's not why I'm playing the game. Um, I think that's valid. And I think this is not a podcast where, where the two of us are saying you should build what you have. Um, right. Uh, everybody's everybody's situation is different. Everybody plays magic differently. However you choose to do it, that's, you know, that's up to you. I'm, we're just throwing out you know, some, of the, some of the things that we do as far as deck building, as far as managing resources and everything else. I mean, like I said, I'm blessed in that... I've been playing long enough and have the, you know, and have the means that I can buy the cards that I want if I need to. And I live in a place that can actually hold the collection of cards that I have. Uh, there are plenty <laughs> of people who don't, you know, who just don't have that kind of living space. Once their collection hits 2,000 cards, it's like, okay, pick out 100 of the ones that I know I'm going to use and then sell the rest. And then just, you know, you buy every time they build a deck, they're using that really tiny core of essential cards and then buying a bunch more and that that's just a more productive way for them to work and i think that's great uh you know whatever works for you so andy i wanted to ask because this is to me this is a part of the deck building that i tend to suffer and stumble on uh updates yeah how often do you update are you are you somebody who is uh you know looking through the cards as they are recently released and saying, ooh, that'll go really good in this deck, or that goes well in this deck, or or are you someone who is like, show me the commanders, and uh, I look forward to building brand new decks with this? Um, it's a bit of here and there. There are some decks that I've definitely updated more than others. I think um, the two decks that I've updated most are my Tesa deck uh, and my Bruce Tarle Ravos deck. Right. Um, but even looking back 
I mean, I played with my Hidetsugu deck last week, uh, my Heartless Hidetsugu deck, and looking through that, I was like, I have not updated this in poof, too long. Um, I've probably added one or two cards over the three years that I've had it. That was my very first deck. And uh, the I guess the thing that sparks interest for me when rebuilding or updating, etc., um, is... Unfortunately, if I crack a card, I'm like, oh, this would be good in whatever deck. Um, or if uh, I see a card online and I like play it in an arena, it's generally like the, the first thing you said, where it's I see cards either through preview season, through play, through, through somebody on Twitch streaming, uh, playing a card and me being like, I like the way that works. Either I'm going to find a deck to put it in, or I'm going to make one. Right. Um, so it's a lot of just kind of almost window shopping where it's just like, oh, that that's nice. I'm going to get that. I mean, it's a thing that I struggle with too because it's just once you put a card in, you have to figure out what card to take out. Um, the, the taking out part is the easy part for me. Um, wow. I have, whenever I find myself, you know, okay, I need to rehash this deck. It's usually because... I've just had, you know, a handful of experiences where I'm like, this part is not working. Or, you know, these two cards don't work the way I thought they were going to work. They need to come out. And once I'm there, okay, well, now I'm down to 98 cards. What two cards are going to go in? And that's usually where I can start looking at updates. My problem Mm. is that when the new cards come out, I'm not looking for how they fit in my decks. I'm looking for... Ooh, new deck, new shiny. Ooh. Yeah. And my decks very rarely get updates. Cards like Buzzbark, uh, decks like Grenzo, those decks will get updates just because they do something so significantly different. It jars your memory when you see it. So if I see a card in a new set that says, blah, 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 bottom of your library, (laughs) well, I immediately think Grenzo and it's like, oh, does this work in Grenzo? And then it's like, I read it over and check it out. I'm like, okay, no, it doesn't fit because it's not the right color. Or it's a, okay, no, no, it doesn't work the way I want it to because I want to be putting creatures on the bottom and not everything. Or, you know, or wow, this really works well and go that route. But that's a very specific, specific commander that does a specific thing. And the same with Buzzbark. There was recently a card, double all all X spells. Hey there, Uh, editing Andy here. Uh, just wanted to sneak in here and clarify this card that he is talking about is called Unbound Flourishing. I found it much later uh, when I was editing the episode, figured out what it was. Uh, Unbound Flourishing. Two and a green. Enchantment. Whenever you cast a permanent spell with a mana cost that contains X, double the value of X. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell or activate an ability, if that spell's mana cost or that ability's activation cost contains X, copy that spell or ability. You may choose new targets for the copy. So, all in all, pretty powerful, especially in decks like this. Uh, anyway, back to, back to the show. I saw that and I thought Buzzbark, because Buzzbark is an X spell creature that I basically want to be casting almost every turn. So, uh, that card would really help the deck. So that clicked for me. But I've also got uh, Marchesa the Black Rose. And that thing, Mm -hmm. it runs best when your creatures have plus one, plus one counters on them because then they come right back. Well, 
every single card that offers a plus and plus one counter is not something I go, ooh, could that go in my Marchesa deck? Because <laughs> there's so many cards that could fit the bill. Um, yeah. You know, my Varel deck, every card that puts a counter on it could be good in your Varel deck. Well, okay, yeah, it could be. There's too many. It, it, it It's not... <laughs> You know, it's not something that's so distinctive that it catches my eye when it happens. Um, so a lot of times I think I'm, you know, good cards, cards that would be good in the, in those decks tend to get, we, we gloss right over them because I just, because they're not that specific. But, and then when it comes to actually, you know, sitting down and taking the cards out and putting the new cards in, I'm terrible with that. Even if I do buy cards that are meant to replace, quite often they'll sit there for a long time. Uh, I mean, yeah. I bought the Great Henge because I knew it would go really well, but it still isn't in a deck. There's a handful <laughs> of cards that are like that, that are just sort of sitting there waiting for me to get around to actually pulling a deck apart, but I haven't done it. So, but to me, that is, that's all part and parcel of deck building. Once you've built the deck, you are, uh, depending on how long you intend to keep the deck, you know, you can say you're 50% of the way, you can say you're 80 or 90% of the way, but for a deck like, like Buzzbark, that build is really, for me, that build's about 60% complete. Because yeah. I'm I'm always going to be waiting for another couple of cards to add in and add in and add in. And then at some point I might feel like I'm actually starting to hit a point where I think that, you know, this thing is running smooth. So um, That's funny because I, like, I, I don't think I can think of any of my decks as a percentage complete. Maybe because I have low self-esteem, but also maybe because, like, like I... Are you saying I'm an egomaniac? My... Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I think you're a very confident person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think a part of it is, like, how I build my decks generally budget is knowing that there are cards that are better for my decks. Right. Um, they just cost yep. more. I think, I think it's the, the finality of saying how, per, how much a percentage of a a deck is done or whatever um feels not necessarily sacrilegious but like it feels almost wrong at, at least for me um in how i build my decks i, I completely uh, get that but at the same time i could look at my tesa deck and be like that is more done than say my drana deck than my hititsugu deck uh these decks that i haven't really put any effort into over the past three years um but yeah, I, it's it's interesting. Um, I definitely pick up a lot of my habits from the people I see. Obviously, my deck building process started out as the people around me. Mm -hmm. um, you, Josh, Jesse, all helped me build my first couple decks. They ended up being very strong. Uh, <laughs> from there, I started watching people on, on YouTube, on Twitch. Uh, people like Day9, people like yeah. Loading Ready Run, building... Not necessarily commander decks, but decks. You start, you start to see the process and see how other people are doing it and recognize how deep it goes. So it's, it's I guess what I'm trying to say is it's interesting how much our processes have branched because of our different intake of content as it were. But uh, there's a reason they call Day 9 an influencer. <laughs> I guess that's true. I think it's also interesting that from the people that I am around, especially during quarantine, virtually, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm noticing this, appreciating the cards that you have already. Uh, 
Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to build more decks based around that. The first deck that I was like, I'm going to buy the fewest amount of cards while using the most of my collection was uh, Moldrotha. I want to build the lowest power Moldrotha deck I possibly can. That card is hard to power down. I think I ended up buying three other cards in addition to Moldrotha to make that deck work. Granted, the car the deck just spins its wheels and just hopes that everyone else dies first, but it does a lot. A lot of nothing. It's great. <laughs> I love I love that deck. That yeah, that's all I, I'm saying. I think I'm starting to drift away from it again. Um and I think we're actually at a point where we can kind of wrap things up um yeah when it comes to deck building i mean obviously your personal circumstance has a big effect on how you're on how you build decks um and i have seen my personal circumstances change in the last 20 plus years um since i've been playing magic and uh it has definitely changed the way that i build decks um i won't say the decks have gotten better i'm just going to say that the decks are now built differently <laughs> um, in the greater scheme of things, my goal has always been to have fun with the decks that are being built. And as long as I keep that in mind at the start, the decks usually uh, usually will follow through with what I'm with what I'm looking for. So, um, Andy, with that, let's uh, let's say good night. Um, I'm Andy. You can find me on Twitch and Twitter at Andy Weekend. I am Bruce. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as at Mana Burned. Um, uh, you can find us on Twitter uh, at FalsePotMTG. Reach out. I'd love to hear how you build decks. I'd love to hear your, uh, you know, your creed as far as, uh, you know, what, what your goal is, how you build. Uh, is this a, is your, is your home uh, wall-to-wall magic cards all over the carpet in front of the TV when you build a deck? Or are you more settled down in front of the laptop and, and yeah. dig deep for research? On top of that, too, I want to hear: uh, Are you are you the type of player that is one and done with your decks? Are they are they solidified in concrete, and then the next time you want to do anything with it, you just throw it away? Um, in other words, you're looking for people who, much like me, build perfection the first time around. Mm. It just it Plus just part. simply couldn't get better after the first build. It just can't. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, we are the temple of the false pod, where our decks are not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Have a great night. Thank you for listening. Bye! Hey everyone, Andy here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Temple of the False Pod. Just a few housekeeping things here at the end of the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. Subscribe and give us a review. It really helps out the show. And it'll show us what you like about our podcast. Uh, also, we've got a Twitter and an Instagram. Our handle is falsepodmtg, all one word. So be sure to follow us. Feel free to reach out to us there or drop us an email at falsepodmtg at gmail.com and tell us your favorite magic-related story. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again to you and to Bruce. He's Mana Burned on Twitter, and I'm Andy Weekend on Twitter and Twitch. We're Temple of the False Pod, where our decks aren't optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Have a great night, and may your fifth land be the temple.